Welcome to episode one of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio by my co-host and good friend in podcasting, the one, the only, John Sloat. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's a brisk, sunny January day. It's beautiful out, isn't it? Not something that's especially common here in the Nona. Yeah, so. we don't we don't get a lot of sun. We don't. We don't. But it's nice when it's here. It is. It's very nice. And it is refreshing. Um, you know, we're starting a new uh, semester here at Grace, and uh, that's in part the start of this new podcast, the Various and Sundry podcast. If you've not listened to episode zero, we'd refer you to that as sort of a preview episode. And I guess this is sort of the first official episode one yeah. of the podcast. And so we certainly wanted to uh, thank those who've already listened to the episode zero. And if you want to get in touch with us, interact with us, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, the podcast Twitter feed is V and S Pod. Mm-hmm. At VNS Pod. At yeah. VNS Pod. And then each of us have our own individual Twitters, Twitter feeds as well. Uh, I'm at Doc Harmon, and you are? Uh, at John underscore Sloat, S-L-O-A-T. Excellent. And of course, uh, we do have an email address as well. If you'd like to email the podcast, that is simply various and sundry podcast, all straight together, at gmail.com. So... Yeah, if, if you want to give us some feedback or uh, you know, if you have a topic you'd like us to, topics. to discuss, yeah, we'd uh, we'd be happy um, to to discuss those things. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I think the place to start is since we're uh, it's been almost a month, not quite, maybe three weeks since yeah, we recorded the preview episode. I think that was December 9th. Okay, we, so we dropped that. Yeah, almost a month. Almost then. a month. So a lot has happened in the sports world since that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably most notably, uh, the college football playoff began. That is true. Yes. Yes, it did. And uh, how would you like to discuss your Buckeyes right now? Well, it's—I'll um, start with just saying it was a disappointing end to the season. I think that the—I uh, think that Ohio State, although they didn't demonstrate it on the field, which is what ultimately matters— Sure. I think they were a better team than Clemson. Okay. Because I think despite the fact Ohio State did not play well and made several mistakes along the way, um, they were still in position to win the game. And to me, the most disappointing piece is not the officiating, which we can get to in a minute. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I think not... Finishing drives, the first three drives, uh, well, we had three drives in the first half that got into the red zone, and we didn't score touchdowns. Kicked field goals. Sure, yeah. Two of them were uh, dropped passes Mm -hmm. by our running back, J.K. Dobbins, who is spectacular. He finished, I think, second all-time in Ohio State rushing history. So he's a great, great, historically great Ohio State running back. And— Remind me if I'm wrong, or correct me if I'm wrong, but he came out at the beginning of the second half, right, with uh, with with some kind of injury, and that, that certainly didn't help things. Correct. He um, had some sort of ankle injury. They took him back in the locker room, taped him back up. Who knows if they shot him with cortisone or what, but he came back out. Still a little hobbled, but played phenomenally. 
Hmm. Rushed for, I can't remember, had like 168, 170 yards of rushing, had some receiving yards as well. But he had two killer drops in the first half that cost us touchdowns. Hmm. Uh, so that's disappointing. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think most Ohio State fans are going to remember two officiating calls. One was the targeting on Sean Wade. Which sure, yeah, he, that's a big call. When he tackled uh, Trevor Lawrence in the, in, the, in the pocket, called for targeting, which I think probably by the letter of the rule as it's written is probably an okay call, though it's a terribly written rule and needs to be completely rethought. The killer, though, was the fumble that was recovered, run back for a touchdown by Ohio State, that was overturned on replay. Yeah, that was bad. That was definitely a catch. And um, the frustrating thing, I think, for me is the fact that um, there, there is no definition of indisputable that covers that overturn. Because mm-hmm. that that's supposed to be the standard, right? Indisputable video evidence that a call is wrong and needs to be reversed. Mm-hmm. That was not even close to indisputable evidence that needed to be reversed. And I think even if it had gone the other way live, indisputable, uh, probably not. I think that's probably one of those that whatever the call in the field it needs to stand. probably needs to stand. And when um, you had multiple officials, like not working the game, but like on Twitter coming out, like, like years of experience saying that's a bad reversal. That's not that's not indisputable. Two thousand nineteen was the year of bad officiating. It feels like yeah, and it and it, it even continued into uh, NFL playoff weekend here mm-hmm. this past weekend. Um, just I mean it's it's been a it's been all throughout the NFL season, the college football season, the lack of consistency in what constitutes pass interference or even just whether you overturn something or don't overturn something, um, it's it's bad. Well, and the year started with uh, the Saints' no non-pass interference call that added this rule to the NFL that's, that's just been difficult to enforce. Yes. Um, very inconsistent, and, and nobody's been happy. I don't think the officials are happy. I don't no. think the players are happy. The fans certainly aren't happy. And part of what's ironic is the, the Saints' playoff game this weekend— Ended with the Vikings catching a touchdown pass. Kyle Rudolph in the end zone. On, a, on when like, you when you look yeah. at the replay, he clearly pushed off. Now whether it rises to the level of that should be pass interference or not, that I suppose that could be debatable. But the fact it happened in New Orleans, yeah, and they didn't even review it when yeah, the reason that you can it's review. Bad. Pass interference is because of a call that wasn't reviewed last year in New Orleans. The fact they didn't even bother to review that yeah. is staggering to me. Yeah, it's staggering. Uh, it's uh, and I'm not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. I'm not, you know, saying the NFL is out to stick it to the Saints or anything. But the whole reason they put in the rule that you can um, review pass interference is because of a call in New Orleans last year. And now you have an overtime playoff game that ends where you would think they would at least look at that as a potential. Well, just to throw the Saints a bone, you know, just yeah. just to, hey, we really screwed up last year. Yeah. Here's here's our we're going to we're going to hand you one. Totally. Or, but 
Totally. Yeah, it was it was it was a blown call, or at least that should have been reviewed this year. Last year was certainly a blown call. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so that's that's sort of been the theme. I, I think that's the name of you know, 2019 year of our Lord, year of terrible officiating. <laughs> yes, indeed. But there was some good news from the NFL playoff weekend this yes. this, this past weekend here. Yeah, the Patriots lost. Yes, Voldemort died. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, lots of discussion as to whether that's the last time we saw, we'll see Tom Brady in a Patriots uniform. Yeah, Brady throws a pick six. And, the and game, he ends yeah. it with a pick six. It's it's lovely. It was a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens this upcoming weekend. Yeah. Um, with the, It's just nice to have the Patriots out of, out of the playoffs. I know, it's some... Uh... Some variance, some yes. a, a little bit of difference. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So before we move on from the sports, though, I feel like we have to do at least a sort of post mortem on the on the Jets season. Yeah, the I mean the Jets are bad, um, have been for better part of a decade. But uh, it's I think the hardest part as a sports fan is when your team finishes sort of in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. And particularly what happened with the Jets this year, where they started so poorly, I think they were 1-5, and 1-6, and six, and then finished the season really strong. So you end right. up in the middle, but the games at the end of the year that you're winning aren't worth anything. Yeah. And, and, and you could argue actually hurt the franchise at some level because right. it worsens your draft pick position. Right. Well, if, but you know what? We're going to... If we're in the top 10, we're taking a defensive lineman. That defensive lineman is going to be good enough to get a brand new contract and then be terrible the following season, and we'll trade them away. <laughs> We've done it for uh, Muhammad Wilkerson. We did it for Sheldon Richardson. We'll probably do it for uh, for the guy we drafted last year. I can't remember who. And we'll probably get rid of Jamal Adams, too, at some point, you know, because that's just what we do. So, yeah. You good with keeping Adam Gase? No, but I don't. I don't actually get any say. You know, I heard he said this this week um, to a, one of the players on the team. What do you do with all this criticism of you? He goes, "I'm just rich. I don't care." <laughs> nice. Okay. So lovely, yeah. lovely human, lovely person. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's good. I'm, I am excited about a new GM, Joe Douglas. But but other than that, and, and that's mostly because he hasn't screwed up yet. So. Um, We'll see what happens in the coming sure. coming weeks. It's a new year, Matt. It's it is. It's a new year. It it's, is. We're looking forward to baseball season. Here comes baseball season. Well, you're going to have to carry us because you know me well enough to know I am not. I follow playoff baseball. Like pennant race down the stretch, I'll, I'll pay attention to, but regular season. Oh, like, I'm all I, about the daily grind. So All about the daily grind for yeah, baseball. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to carry our water when it comes to that. Well, speaking of a new year, uh, uh, something that people get into – uh, not me, but something that people get into <laughs> is making New Year's resolutions. Yeah. So I've already shown my hand a little bit on New Year's resolutions, but why don't why don't you talk about uh, New Year's resolutions a little bit? Do you have any? Do you make them? I don't make New Year's resolutions. I'm not anti them. Um, I just find them fascinating in some ways that they are a sort of cultural phenomena. Yeah. That is. Uh, that every year, late December, you get this sort of uh, building momentum towards making New Year's resolutions. And so that just fascinates me more as a cultural phenomena than it does anything. Um, and, you know, it's, of course, it doesn't take uh, a lot of um, research or even just, you know, awareness to realize 
most of them don't stick. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I I think that's one of my one of my complaints. One of my two complaints uh, is that they're they're everybody has the same New Year's resolution net resolutions. I want to work out more. I want to eat healthier. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. read more or whatever maybe or something new that's popped up. And I saw this recently is that they're just incredibly vague. Yeah. Um like, oh, I I want to love myself more or I want to be more right. forgiving of myself and I'm just, I don't know what that means. Right. Like yeah. that sounds really empowering and, and Sure. Sure. Nice, but but <laughs> what what does that mean? You know, yeah, and certainly hard to measure in any any real sense, typically, yeah. right? Yeah, and and so you know, I I did a little digging, and you know, top ten most common New Year's resolutions. Oh, so wow, you're doing show prep? Uh, well, you know, that's not fair. Well, okay, you know, and they they tend to group very easily. You know, lose weight. Yep. Stop smoking. You didn't mention that one, but yeah, not you know, one I typically struggle no. with. Stick to a budget. So something financial, right? Sure. You know, yeah. be a little bit more disciplined in how you spend your money. Uh, four, save more money. So that's kind of sticking to the budget thing too. Five, find a better job. Okay. Six, become more organized. You know, which typically takes a level of organization that you probably don't have to become more yeah. organized. So uh, exercise more, of course. Be more patient at work with others. Yeah, all right, sure. Okay. Eat better. So again, there's that sort of personal health, I think, covers a lot of these, right? Mm -hmm. Exercise, eat better, et cetera. And then speaking to your point of the the, the vagueness, number 10 was become a better person. What does that even mean? Yeah. (laughs) So, but apparently, so these numbers are not going to surprise you, but uh, only 30% of people who make New Year's resolutions manage to keep them into February. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And one in five, so 20%, managed to stay on track for six months. I think that's even probably high, to be honest. How much was it again? One in five. So 20%. 20%? That feels high to me. Six months in are still on target. Yeah, unless so. there's this really disciplined corner of the earth that I'm that I'm unfamiliar <laughs> with. You know, I, I think that sounds way high. Yeah. Yeah. So— you know, when we when we started thinking about this as a topic, I, I tossed out the uh, uh, a sort of side topic related to this of you know some people really get into New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Um, and when I think of resolutions, I think of a man named Jonathan Edwards, who uh, sort of famous uh, American uh, preacher thinker uh, was alive in the early 18th century. It's probably one of the greatest American thinkers that yeah, have, absolutely that has lived probably absolutely and sort of on the back end of the of the Puritans when it comes to kind of situating him historically and theologically, but um, he didn't make New Year's resolutions. He just made resolutions, and he starts them all with or most of them at least with resolved. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he's an intense guy. Yeah, clearly, yeah, <laughs> and so he wrote. A series of resolutions. I, I don't have the exact number here. It's something like seventy, maybe. I don't have the article. I have rearranged them into topics, so that didn't help me. Yeah. Do you have the Desiring God? Yeah. One? Yeah. Desiring God has a has a great list of them, and they're organized by topic. Um, yeah. Really easy to read and look at, and they've done it in a really pleasing way. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing is, is that Edwards wrote these when he was like nineteen and twenty. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're honest, when you read through them. 
um, I, I want to be gracious to Jonathan Edwards because I love Edwards. He's one mm-hmm. of my favorite sort of historical thinkers and, and writers. Um, but they they come off a little bit intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, my personal favorite is resolution number 38. Yeah, which um, was? Resolved never to speak anything that is ridiculous, sp- sportive, or matter of laughter on the Lord's Day. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a— No jokes in those sermons. A, uh, a Sabbatarian in that sense, yes. Um, I, I think at their best, when you look at these resolutions, it is a striking statement of his intention to live for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And they are very much worth reading. So any any sort of—we're oh, not trying to throw shade at Jonathan Edwards here. Like, like in many respects, these are impressive. Like, when you think about— uh, these are written by a 19 and 20 year old. There, there's a, a a level of depth and sincerity and intensity that is deeply admirable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also an aspirational, like, mm-hmm. ooh, as I as I read through these, I go, oh my goodness, that one I've I've, I've never quite thought of that in, in that specific way. That that would be something worth emulating. Yeah. Um, now, others of them, I look at the, and I go like. Oh, I, I kind of do that, although I didn't write it down, nor did I say resolved beforehand. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I say lot, lots of Christian people aspire to the things that are in here, mm-hmm. um, even if they haven't spoken them this way. Sure. And I think that as I reread these again, uh, one of the things that struck me is the fact that uh, Edwards, in several of these, talks about having his... Uh, that these resolutions are framed by uh, the prospect of death. That there are a number of them where he says things like, this is number seven, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Yeah. Now, again, I, I can admire the... Um, I can admire the the intention behind that, that there's a sense of... Your life matters. Um, we should live with uh, with death in view. All those are good things. But I don't know. I find myself thinking, if I knew I had an hour to live, there's probably only a handful of things I would even consider doing. Mm-hmm. And you, I don't think that you can literally live that way. Yeah. That that you know you know. So, so for example, even to put it in Edwards' context. If he knew he had an hour to live, would he go for a walk in the fields? Maybe. Maybe he would, but maybe not. I, you know? Yeah. So th- there are some things where you're like, that's, that's a good thing. I just don't know that it makes the cut for if it's the last hour of my life, I would do that. He also says, number nine, uh, just to, to, emph- to really hit home his, his thinking on death, resolved. To think much on all occasions of my own dying and the common circumstances which attendeth death. Yeah. He, he is uh, incredibly motivated uh, yes. by, by looking forward to his own death, which I, if, if I'm being truthful and I'm being honest, I think that's a, a thought I regularly avoid. Sure. You know, I, I avoid thinking of my own death. I avoid thinking of Absolutely. And that's a particularly striking um, countercultural kind of resolution for our contemporary context, 
when you think about the fact that in Edward's day, they were surrounded by death. Mm-hmm. That uh, death was common in the sense, I mean, death has always been common in one sense, obviously, like death's been around forever, right? Sure. <laughs> but but um, in our culture, we often are insulated from it. I mean, I, I've never asked you this question, I guess, but have you ever been in the presence of someone when they actually died? Um, no, I don't, I don't think like the moment of death, mm-hmm. but near, near the moment of death. Yeah. Um, so I, I've had some situations where, where I've been around people who are very, very, very close, close. Yeah. to death. And one situation where they, they may have been dead and I'm just not aware and I, but, but, but no, no, never, never in the room. Yeah. I've only experienced it once. And in one sense, it was, uh, it, it was not intentional. We went to visit a friend in the hospital, and he providentially passed away while Ooh. we were actually there. Yeah. So we weren't going that we, we were going there thinking we were going to visit him and his wife and provide comfort, encouragement. And when we got there, it was, we were in the room. And it was like, it was the oh, moment. like he, he, he hmm. was passing away. But I bring that up because when you think about it, we live in a culture where we're always separated from death, right? People go somewhere else to die. Sure. Off, usually, sure. right? But in Edward's day, like, people died in their homes. Like, if they were sick, they weren't, like, in a nursing home. They, they, they weren't in hospice care. Sure. Like, they died in their bedroom or in the living room so that you grew up around death in a very real, tangible sense. Today, we don't do that. Yeah, what what are goodness and and this is totally on the fly so good luck. What what's the benefit of regularly thinking about death? Like like what 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 why did Edward see this as a really excellent thing to be thinking about? I mean, I do think at its best it it helps us keep a sense of uh priorities hmm. in 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 the sense of not wasting our life in frivolous things. And that doesn't mean that you can never you know, that you always have to be doing something intensely serious. Hmm. But I think um, it also, uh, I think instead of preparing for death, we tend to avoid the subject or we tend to try to numb ourselves to it. Hmm. And so um, I actually started reading a book. I need to pick it back up again. But uh, there's a recent book by, I think the author is Matthew McCollum. Wow, you didn't finish a book? Well, I've started it. The, the jury's still open. Boy, you always finish books. <laughs> I'm always the one that's like, eh, I got halfway through and I stopped. I, I, I paused. <laughs> I, I didn't give up on it. I didn't give up on it. I give up on occasional books. Um, it's called Remember Death. Hmm. And basically his whole point is we don't think enough about our own death and that that should shape a little bit of how we live in yeah. terms of setting priorities and even just even just a pursuit of of holiness and thinking about, you know, at death we as you know we stand before a holy God and have to give an account for our lives. Hmm. So I think that's probably the the way that that would benefit. Um, but in terms of the the resolutions, I think the one that I love the most, and this is definitely something that Edwards did live up to, is number twenty eight. Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Hmm. Yeah. And that to me, 
you know, transitions to something that may not be a resolution, but it's common around the end of a year to see believers talk about, I want to read the Bible more in the next year. Sure. So Bible reading plans and even Gospel Coalition has come out with a program. I forget the specific name of it. It's read, like, I think it's just read the Bible. Read the Bible in yeah. 2020. And that's great. So I think that maybe um, that might transition us to less on the, it seems to me both of us are less on the resolution end of things and more on the let's set goals. Yeah, and and I think uh, I, I think more on the cultivating good habits mm-hmm. um, over even over even setting goals because I, I think of goals they, they need to be specific, obtainable, trackable. You know, you know all the all the things mm-hmm. you want goals to be. Um, but when you cultivate a habit, it's something that you do regularly to um, that that something that you do regularly to make it a part of your life. Yeah, uh, and so whether it's I think reading scripture is much more making that a habit instead of a mm-hmm. goal or a resolution. You know, I want to read through the Bible this year. Well, I want to read through the Bible for the rest of my life. You know, not, not just in the next year. Sure. You know, um, but so, even in the context of that, you would recognize and affirm the 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 value of having some kind of plan in place, rather than just. Just willy nilly flying I, around. I want to read. Yeah. The, I want to read the Bible more. Yeah. Okay. A- absolutely. Like following following some sort of plan, but but not. I, I guess my point is saying, when you finish, you just keep going. You know. You right. know. Cultivating that that regular habit. Right. Um, and so yeah. I read, I read a book toward the end of uh, 2019 called The Common Rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it on several people's best books of 2019 list, so I picked it up real quick, read through it over the break, um, by Justin Early, and uh, he has. Four daily habits, four weekly habits, four monthly habits that, that I, you know, I'm not going to adopt all of them, but I found lots of them really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I, I really like that cultivating habit over necessarily making a resolution or even setting goals to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I often think of goals as very professional things, things that I do at work. I set goals, numbers I want to hit or sure. calls I want to make or, or, yeah. or pages I want to write or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but habits are things that, that I really want to infuse into my life that are that are regular. Okay. So in light of that, do you have any particular sort of habits that you'd like to cultivate this year that yeah. you've targeted? Um, well, I, I think uh, reading scripture is a habit that, that I that, – Regularly, I'd like to uh, I'd like to cultivate. Um, I think uh, I read pretty regularly as a person, but I think reading bigger books like I think I can be like, oh my goodness, that's you know five hundred pages. I don't want to read that. Um, but reading some bigger books in smaller chunks. So I've I've set aside some part of my morning this year to mm-hmm. cultivate the reading of bigger books. Um, yeah. Uh, morning and evening prayer as well as another one uh, that that I'm trying to cultivate. So. Uh, praying in the morning for uh, uh, the Lord to give me a work ethic, the desire to build a kingdom in the the evening prayer to be more of like a, Lord, I can't do it all. I desperately need you mm-hmm. um, sort of prayer. Okay. Um, those are those are some things that I'm cultivating currently as well as, uh, you know, some things continuing from the past, exercise, eating habits, those sorts of things. How about yourself? I think... Um when it comes to it, mine, tend to focus on the on the on the reading end of things. Um, yeah, so I try to mix it up with reading scripture. Uh, last year, 
I did um, reading through the New Testament in English, and then I read through um, the actually the first six books of the Old Testament in the Septuagint in mm. Greek over the course of the year. So um, trying to stretch myself in terms of reading Greek, reading a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, so very much enjoyed that. This year I'm keeping the New Testament piece uh, in terms of English, but trying to bring a little bit more life back to my Hebrew. Mm. So a while ago I had started reading through the Psalms in Hebrew and it kind of abandoned that. So I'm picking that back <laughs> up. I think I'm in Psalm 39 right now. So um, it's slow going. Yeah. But um, I'm enjoying it and it's proving fruitful. And, you know, uh, I think those are those those tend to be that and then, you know, having some intentionality towards exercise is something that uh, I'm trying to incorporate as well without getting into this i gotta work out three days a week and i gotta do this sure you know so but back to the books thing uh both of us being avid readers usually get books for christmas and then uh that sort of begins to set the trajectory for our reading early in the year Mm -hmm. so uh what books did you get for christmas and anything that you are like i'm dying to read this i so I got some books for Christmas. They're they're a little bit more collector uh, than than their, their books I've already read, mm-hmm. um, but I got the the first three books of the Harry Potter series fully illustrated. Now you've been asking for those for a while for like you not? three or four years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and th- those are not cheap, which is what part which, of why it's you haven't received them yet. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're like twenty five or thirty bucks a piece, but they they are beautiful. Yeah. Um, they're full text. And it prompted this conversation uh, with my family, like, oh, the first three books. Yeah, those function more as children's books. When you get a little bit later on <laughs> in the Harry Potter series, mm-hmm. they function less and less like children's books. Yeah, that's true. And there's a sense in which the series grows up with Harry. Yes. And so, which is part of, I think, the brilliance of the series, to be honest. Yes. And so how are you going to do the seventh book illustrated? First, it's super, super long. Yes. And then second, some of Super dark. Super dark. (laughs) And so I I think they may have to get a new illustrator or the illustrator's going to have to grow over the next several years (laughs) in in the painting. So so that's that's, uh, one of the things I I got. Uh, Other books I'm looking forward to reading early this year or at some point this year, um, Wisdom and Wonder uh, by Abraham Kuyper. Okay. So it's a book on uh, common grace in the arts and sciences. Uh, So I'm excited about that. Uh, I've started reading a book uh, called... Uh, the Madness of Crowds uh, by Murray, a, a British philosopher. Okay. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. So he's a, a kind of a neoconservative writer. Um, uh, fascinating. Um, okay. Uh, Abolition of Man uh, by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Uh, I've never read that one, so looking forward. I, I, I was at a conference this summer, uh, Acton, and uh, mm-hmm. everybody was talking about this book. I was like, goodness, I've heard of it, but I've never read it. So yep. picked it up. It's not uh, that long from what I remember. Is I've not read it. I just no. Know, I want to say it's like it. 120, 150 pages, yeah. something like that. And then, uh, and then I picked up "On the Road with Saint Augustine" by uh, by uh, James K. Smith. So okay, looking forward to reading through that as well. Nice. So, how about yourself? Any? Yeah. So, um, any good books? Yeah, I, I I got a few for Christmas that uh, I'm I'm very much eager to dig into. I've started one of them uh, by. Uh, T.D. Alexander, which you'd expect that to be a sports writer, right? I mean, yeah. perfect initials for that. But he's actually a 
uh, I believe he's Irish, an Irish biblical so scholar. Probably not a an American football <laughs> probably fan. Probably not. Huh? Uh, but he wrote a book. Uh, Crossway does this series that's called Short Studies in Biblical Theology, which is super good. Great introduction to uh, biblical theology themes at a very entry level, uh, and so it's it's very good. So he wrote one called The City of God and the Goal of Creation. Okay. So that I'm I'm, I'm two thirds, three quarters of the way. It's like 170 pages, so it's not that long. So it's a pretty introductory sort of sort of book yeah. to the topic. Okay. Yep. Very good. Very nice. Uh, also in that series by Patrick Schreiner, The Kingdom of God and uh, the Glory of the Cross. So uh, looking forward to, to breezing through that as well. Um, one that uh, a little different take is uh, a book by Ted Kluck called A Hard Thing on a Beautiful Day. I'm excited to see how that goes. I have not read a that. Series, I don't own that. A series uh, of essays that he's written. Yeah. Um, what's great about it is it like because it's a series of essays, it's easy to sit down for five minutes and you read one or two essays, and then you can move on. It's not one of these books where so you're like... So they're pretty short essays on? Oh, yeah. Okay. A number of them are essays that are like uh, newspaper articles. That he, For a while, he, he he's written a, a column in... I think the newspaper there in Jackson, Tennessee, oh, cool. where he lives as a professor at Union. And so, um, but they're organized around different themes. So mm. like there's a whole section of sports, there's a section of pop culture, those kinds of things. Um, and it, they're very well written, very engaging. So I've enjoyed that very much. I'm probably half to two thirds of the way through it already. Um, very cool. And then the, the last one there. Uh, is probably a book by Michael Kruger called Christianity at the Crossroads, How the Second Century Shaped the Future of the Church. So that's a book, based on what I can tell, I haven't started it yet, but um, where he's trying to look at how we got from the early church in the first century into the later church and developments of what orthodoxy is. And so I'm looking forward to to uh, to digging into that. But uh we uh, we need to start moving towards uh, the conclusion of our episode, but before we do that, we have to introduce essentially a new feature. I, mean, I know I'm so excited about this. Well, why don't you tell us about how this started? So, uh, so I, I've listened to a Mets podcast that does this, and they do this with Mets baseball players. But I I said I don't know anybody else that does this, but name our episodes mm-hmm. after an athlete. Yes. That wore that number. Okay. Yes. Uh, and so you and I texted a little bit yeah. back and forth about what do we call episode one? Yeah. Like what athlete do we name this podcast episode yeah. after? And uh, do you remember some of the some of the names that were that were on the list? I remember a lot of hockey goalies is what yes. I remember. Yeah. And Which isn't going to resonate with either of us. I no. think I enjoy hockey maybe a little bit more than you do. That's probably true. Um, I've been to, to several games. that love going. It's super yeah. enjoyable. But but I'm not going to pick a goalie as like Correct. the athlete. Yeah. Uh, but we had a debate about about two specific <laughs> athletes. We did. Um, and I I conceded uh, to to your athlete uh, because I th- I think they're better. But but I yes. have a soft spot for my athlete. So, so should we go with the honorable mention yeah. first? The honorable okay. mention or episode 101? You know, if that were to come around, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I really wanted Pee Wee Reese. <laughs> Uh, shortstop okay. for the Brooklyn Dodgers, uh, uh, won a World Series from Kentucky, was a part of the teams with Jackie Robinson, helping break that color barrier in baseball. Um, yeah, he just, I, I mostly love him in the 42 movie. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, and he had some, uh, some 
he had a great career uh, with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Okay. And then your athlete that won the day was? Yes, Oscar Robertson. And tell us about Oscar. Well, I mean, he's arguably one of the 10 greatest basketball players of all time. He's I, quite I mean, good. You, know, you, you, can, you can make the case that he's at least worthy of consideration of the top 10. And he was, um, when you think about the kind of numbers uh, when it comes to points, rebounds, and assists, like the, the classic triple-double sure. that, um, you know, that we get, we admire folks like LeBron or Russell Westbrook, guys that, uh, I believe, it was, was it Russell Westbrook that averaged a, a triple-double triple across the, the course of the season? Was that two years ago, I think? Two or three now? years ago, yeah. Um, well, before people were all whipped up about the category of a triple-double, like Oscar Robertson was doing them. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was consistently scoring and rebounding and assisting uh, at that kind of level. He was a bigger sort of guard-slash-forward before that mold even existed, before there were guys like Magic Johnson, who was 6'9", playing point guard, or now LeBron James playing point with this year's Lakers at 6'9", or whatever we're listing him as, he he was the prototype for that. In an era where centers weren't even necessarily 6'8", 6'9", right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so. so this is the officially the Oscar Robertson, Robertson, uh, episode, uh, episode. So, so we'll, we'll continue to do that throughout the course of, uh, uh, of, of the, uh, the podcast here. But as we, as we bring things to a close, we, we're going to try to close consistently with our one thing we liked. Yeah. And it could be a book we're reading. It could be a podcast we're listening to. It could be just something that we're enjoying currently. Could be a restaurant. Could be, yeah, totally, totally. So why don't you, uh, why don't you lead off? So I'm going to go with a podcast that, um, I had forgotten that you had mentioned uh, in the sort of secret episodes that will yeah. never air. Yeah. <laughs> but I forget how I, – I don't know if – I think I came across it through somebody else. But it's a podcast called 1865. So, so good. And you've so, listened so to good. it, obviously. Oh, yeah. And it is – I didn't realize uh, how long it was. But uh, basically the premise is it, it's, a, it's a podcast that traces – uh, what happened? It starts basically with the assassination of Abraham Lincoln in 1865. Yeah, as the Civil War is coming to a close, and then it moves into Reconstruction, which is a an era of history that most of us as Americans just almost know nothing about. That yeah. our that our knowledge of the Civil War basically stops with Lincoln's death, and like, oh yeah, well, well we won the like the North won the war, right? And then it's like this big gap, and then it's like, oh man all these racial issues are going on in the South, and it's kind of related to the fact that the Civil War didn't quite resolve all those, but there's this big void in there. And it really focuses on uh, Edwin Stanton, who was Lincoln's Secretary of, well, Secretary of War at the time. Secretary of War. Basically the equivalent of Secretary of Defense today. Sure. And uh, what's great about it is is that it's, it's historically reenacted, right? So it's dramatized, and... These these are top notch actors who are doing the voices and the characters. They're very good. They're very good. But what I enjoy even more was the fact that after these episodes, they had an episode after it after each of these where they had the producers talk about what's going on historically and why they chose and what what they have good historical like grounding to say. We know this happened, and then. We think this happened, and here's why we think, but others might disagree with us kind of things. And lots of the things in the podcast that were 
shocking. Yeah, uh, that I had no idea happened. Had no clue were, were absolutely true. Like Abraham Lincoln's son was dating or engaged to a woman who was in love with John Wilkes Booth. Yes, which is insane <laughs> to me. Yeah, absolutely. How did that? How does that I, happen? I don't know. And then uh, for me, another one of those like wow moments was Andrew Johnson, the vice president of the United States, was apparently with a prostitute. Yeah, well enough that we know the name of that prostitute. Correct. Yes, that's verified. The, the yeah. night that Lincoln was assassinated and the uh, Secretary of State, um, was it Seward? Was that his name? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Was also attacked. Yeah, and was ta- I didn't realize that that though that and somebody was sent to Andrew Johnson's room to to kill him as well. Correct. Yeah. So fascinating stuff. So if you're into history, and it's not it's not hokey dramatization, like it's high quality. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I think that's been one of the benefits of podcasts coming along. It's yeah brought back this radio drama medium that yeah. I feel like we've been lacking since uh, the advent of the television. Correct. And I didn't realize how long this was. So I started it right on my drive out of uh, Winona Lake all the way out to Omaha <laughs> and didn't finish it. Yeah. And then that took me on the way back, the rest of it from Omaha until like outskirts of Chicago. Like So there's like you know, probably 18 hours in there, you know, well, maybe not quite that much, like 16, 17 hours of content. That's really, really good. So that was my uh, one thing I liked. What about you? So uh, one of the things that dominated my Christmas break was uh, robot vacuums. <laughs> yes. Uh, I got my parents one for Christmas and my dad was pretty excited to program it. Mm-hmm. And my mom, I think, was a little bit more ho-hum. And was kind of like, well, we cleaned the house really well before you guys got here. It's probably fine. We ran it, and it filled up with dog hair. And they were like, oh, my gosh, we're living in filth. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and then when I returned, uh, I, I had enough gift cards. I was like, I need to get one of these myself. Yeah. So purchased a robot vacuum. It's been fun to watch the vacuum run around the house and, yeah. uh, and clean a bunch of things. And They're great. They're, They're great. It's just putting a smile on my face yeah, at the moment. And, yeah. As you know, my wife openly calls herself a robot vacuum evangelist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're wonderful. Yes, yeah. So, well, I, well, we've covered quite the ground here in, yeah, uh, in episode one, and we're... we're, we're in a wide swath of we, we need to certainly land the plane. So um, we have uh, done what we set out to do mm-hmm. in this podcast to cover our various and sundry topics. And so until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later.